Hello everyone and welcome to the Talking Pharmacy Christmas Special. I'm Richard Thomas and joining me for our annual seasonal shindig is Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Millie Browning, editorial assistant of Training Matters, our title for pharmacy support staff. Well, Sadly, chaps, this is the second year in a row that we've had to abandon our plan to record the Christmas special in the Red Lion pub behind our Regent Street offices. I can't believe we started the year in lockdown and we seem to be heading there again thanks to Omicron, but let, let's hope not. Now, we know just how challenging this year has been once again for all our listeners and our readers um, of our titles and the podcast, so we've just got something a little different for you this week to hopefully lighten the mood. We're going to present our Talking Pharmacy End of Year Awards for 2021. Uh, Not entirely seriously, it must be said. We'll also look back at some of the biggest stories of the year. Various pharmacy celebs have been sending in their Christmas messages and we'll give our predictions for 2022. So there's... um, bit of buble playing in the background. I'm just going to grab myself a Camden Hells so I can pretend I'm in the pub or a couple of paracetamols and a cold compress, really. That's a bit of an in-joke. Let's get going with our first Christmas messages. Hello, it's Claire Anderson here, President of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, wishing you all a really, really happy Christmas and a wonderful 2022. I know it hasn't been another easy year and I know how stressed and busy Everybody is in community pharmacy. But I also know that patients and the public really rely on you and trust in all that you're doing and you're making such a difference. This is Nigel Clark, the chair of the General Pharmaceutical Council, um, with a a message at the end of what's been a difficult and tumultuous year for all of you, I know. Um, wishing you all a calm and productive festive season and a very happy new year and wanting to thank you all and your teams for the enormous amount of dedicated hard work in very difficult circumstances all through the year, which I know is much appreciated by the public. It's not an accident that pharmacy is now regarded in polling as being the most trusted profession in the country. You've all worked very hard to achieve that. So wishing you all the very best, and I hope that next year is a great deal easier than this year. Good luck to you all. So thank you, Claire and Nigel, for those messages. Right then, Rob, let's start our review of the year with you. What's your story of 2021? Hi, Richard. Yeah, do you know, I found this surprisingly difficult, given the amount of stuff we've all covered in 2021. I thought, first of all, so I'm going to try and get a few things in here just to cheat a bit. So I I thought, first of all, the stuff I've enjoyed commissioning and reading in the the magazine during the year has been our health economists. These are Barham's pieces, particularly those on baseline in the contract and how not to respond to requests from the Treasury. And now Leela's got her head around community pharmacy properly. There's going to be lots more from her to come in 2022. Then I decided that other things I've been doing that I probably ought to look no further than our front cover stories. The most complicated piece was our June issue with its focus on seven independent business owners and managers, all of them women. I also loved the internal conceit with that issue and the theme that we never actually mentioned editorially. 
Um, then partly because we were able to do it face to face, the interview I enjoyed doing the most was the one with Bristol's Deputy Mayor Asher Crane. I say interview, we basically chatted about the role of City Hall in public health and tackling inequalities for an hour and a half. Asher provided a fascinating insight into community activism and taking the chance to make a difference, using the levers at your disposal when you're a local councillor, particularly one in power. But the piece I'm going to pick out for my story of the year is Delivering the Win-Win-Win, which was our October cover. Told the story of the winners of my award for opportunistic innovation, if, the, if we had one, Central Health Solutions. The West Midlands-based community pharmacy provider companies had a great year, paying off £100,000 in initial loans it got from its establishing LPCs. But it has put around £1.4 million into the bank accounts of around 300 pharmacies that are delivered services in its network. The opportunity presented by local councils' needs for lateral flow testing for COVID-19 has been the stellar success of the year. But as we spoke towards the end of the summer, Central Health had more than half a dozen active commission projects on the go, as well as several more in the pipeline. Kudos, therefore, to directors Bruce Prentice, Simon Hay, Michelle Dias and Len Dalton, who for me demonstrate perfectly the importance of winning trusts with local commissioners based on delivery of outcomes, creating that three-way win for commissioners, patients and, of course, for community pharmacies. I think there's also a lesson or two in this story for the sorry mess that is the review of pharmacy representation in England. A lesson with many of the features that seem to make progress in Scotland and Wales easier too. There's an expertise now at Central Health that has come through hard work, building trust, winning contracts and developing the network of pharmacy providers. This kind of development doesn't come overnight and the team are now looking forward to building further on their experience across a widening footprint. Now, I've not seen much about provider companies in the interminable deliberations of the review steering group. And that looks to me like a significant oversight. David Wright, in his original review, certainly saw the logic of the approach, which offers commissioners a single route through to a network of providers across a locality. I understand the desire among large groups, at least, for national services and a national contract, but with the government pumping billions into primary care, where community pharmacy has shown over the last two years it is both flexible and capable and can deliver capacity when the business case is right, strong local plays have got to be necessary too. Central Health Solutions aren't the only provider companies out there, and there are other parts of the country where LPCs themselves are playing a similar role for contractors who are delivering more locally. So I hope the RSG has them as part of its picture going forwards, because it should. I did put that picture to the team at Central Health, who will tell me about the hard work it's taken over a number of years to get where they are today. Their view is that a national provider company, as David Wright suggested in his review, would burn cash for three years and need no locality experts anyway to build up the trust and the track record and the balance sheet that goes with that required among local commissioners to win contracts for community pharmacy. And I really like Bruce Prentice's challenge back to my question. How does what we have, how does what we've done stack up with everywhere else? What's the value added elsewhere in the country? If contractors feel they've missed out on opportunities, they should get in touch. I really love the determination behind that particular statement, Richard. Yeah, that's a that central health story um, was uh, was a great story, Rob, and, and indeed the the kind of coverage that you've given to to provider companies this year. In fact, there's been lots of really good innovation <clears throat> coverage and policy analysis in P P three this year has been excellent, and. I think the RSG, Rob, um, that might crop up in, in conversations later on in our Christmas special. Let's see. 
So, Arthur, let's come to you. What's been your story of 2021? Uh, well, similar to Rob, I found it hard to choose. It's been a very, uh, you know, hectic year with lots of stories uh, rumbling along. Uh, if I had to pick one of the more worrying stories, it might be the growth of um, of temporary pharmacy closures, particularly in, in Scotland. Um, it's not something that I'm aware of as, you know, having happened that much in the past. Um, but it seems this year to have really taken off and sort of a lot of uh, patients have been, you know, quite negatively affected by it, it seems. And and, and, and particularly in Scotland, um, the health boards are very concerned by it and I've written to, to contract, contractors about it. Um, we've talked about sort of workforce shortages this year and uh and and, and the, the the big contractors a lot of the independent both independents and multiples say that um say they're badly affected by by these shortages and in the case of the the multiples they cite these as a main cause of of, of having to close but the fact that um the multiples are closing at seem to be closing at a higher rate than independence makes you wonder if maybe there's there's other factors at play there um, but i was hope i wanted to talk for my big story of the year i wanted to talk about something uh a little bit more hopeful um it's the growth the rise of the independent prescribing agenda in in britain the uh the gphc announced plans at the end of last year around this time last year uh to facilitate uh changes to the M farm so that every uh, every pharmacy student graduating from 2026 onwards will be a trained independent prescriber, which is a great development. And uh, earlier this year, or uh, more recently in September, they announced plans to to relax barriers for existing pharmacists to, uh, to train as independent prescribers. So the, I think currently they have to be, they have to have been practicing for two years uh, they have to have two years of clinical experience under their belt, whereas that that barrier is going to be removed. So pretty much any pharmacist who uh, wishes to access independent prescribing training will be able to, which is a great de- development for the profession when you consider that there is such a uh, pronounced shift away from not not away from prescription volume, but away from prescription volume being so uh, being so dominant in, in the working lives of pharmacists and services playing a bigger role. So uh, so so opening up training to more pharmacists can only be a good thing. Um, of course, there are a few caveats, um, and there are definitely parts of the UK where the agenda is more developed than in others. I mean, I mean in Scotland is probably the the great example where the, the pharmacy first service is really plugged into that prescribing agenda and there's a growing range of conditions where pharmacists can prescribe under a PGD. So it really sort of, it maps onto what, what the kind of the NHS wants, what the GPHC wants, and there's a kind of a clear uh, plan for pharmacists. It's perhaps less the case in England. Um, a lot of pharmacists who do currently have uh, independent prescribing qualifications complain that um, they they just don't have the scope to use it in their day-to-day roles, which is a bit um, frustrating, I, I can only imagine. Uh, and, and also the GPHC has warned that, uh, particularly with online pharmacies, um, there are some who are, some because a lot of pharmacists are, are prescribing for, for these online pharmacies now, and the GPHC has said that unfortunately some of them are, are working a little bit out of their depth which is which is quite worrying so i mean there's definitely uh scope for improvement as and things that need to be ironed out but 
I think on the whole, you'd have to say that the the rise of the independent prescribing agenda is a sort of a, a boon for, for pharmacists as a profession and something that I hope is only going to, to grow in the years to come. Yeah, good choice, Arthur. Hugely significant development um, this year with prescribing, you know, um, and, and as you say, this is the direction of travel up. Our young pharmacists will be coming out as qualified prescribers from 25, 26. So that's a good thing. There's um, the existing registrants will be able to catch up. Uh, I think you've hit your nail on the head there, though, Arthur. I mean, the, the issue in England is what are these prescribers going to do? <clears throat> you look at the situation in, in Scotland and Wales and prescribing is very much plugged into to, to NHS care, as you say, Arthur. So, um Really good choice there, Arthur. And um, I think we'll move on to Millie and Neil. Actually, before we do, let's have some more Christmas messages. I'm Alison Strath, Chief Pharmaceutical Officer for Scotland. And I would like to wish all pharmacists and pharmacy teams, regardless of sector, a wonderful Christmas and a very happy new year. Like 2020, 2021 has been an incredibly challenging year, which has impacted on all our lives, both professionally and personally. And I'm incredibly proud of the resilience and the professionalism demonstrated by everyone who works in or supports the pharmacy sector. Thank you. Mia Angelou said that you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. That certainly stands true for pharmacy. And Richard, I'd also like to thank you and your team for another year of thought-provoking, responsible and informative reporting. On the 31st of December, Let's all raise a glass to a better 2022. Slauncha. Hi, just a message to all the guys on the Talking Pharmacy podcast um, and all the listeners out there in what has been another incredibly difficult year for uh, the pharmacy profession, uh, not only in Wales, but across the whole UK. Um, I continue to be really impressed by the amazing effort that everyone puts in to make sure that they're delivering uh, great care for patients uh, and their communities. Uh, look, I guess 2022 can only be better than the last couple of years and let's sincerely hope so. I know I'll be doing everything I can to try and make it that way. So uh, whatever you're doing, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, stay safe. And um, yeah, na dolly clawin a bloithin newydda. And that was lovely. A pair of chief pharmacists there. What's that? Two turtle doves, is it? Um, my thanks to Andrew Evans and Alison Strath. Right, let's come to you then, Millie. Now, you joined the editorial team only recently. What's been your highlight from your first few months on Training Matters? Well, as you said, Richard, I'm relatively new to the pharmacy world, having only joined TM's editorial team in September. Within two weeks, however, I had a pretty great introduction by attending the Recognition of Excellence Awards at 8 Northumberland Avenue. I was inspired by all the stories of our finalists, but of course, one stuck out in particular, hearing how Alison Curtis from Day Lewis Pharmacy in Burnham-on-Sea saved the life of one of her customers particularly influenced me as I was amazed by the way she genuinely cared and went out of her way to make a difference. This story was my highlight of the year and really emphasised to me the need for recognition of the work that pharmacy teams do every day. I can't wait for the launch of RRE 2022 and to read even more nominations stressing this important commitment. Uh, listeners should look out for this announcement in the January issue of both Pharmacy Magazine and Training Matters. Yes, that was a wonderful event, the Recognition of Excellence Awards. We all really enjoyed it. It was great to have an event with real people again, wasn't it? Not on Zoom 
or teams, and even better to celebrate the wonderful work of pharmacy teams, support staff, medicines, counter assistants, pharmacy technicians, delivery drivers who have been utterly magnificent during the pandemic, as indeed they are always day in, day out. Real privilege to be there, actually. Right then, um, let's move on. Neil, what's your story of the year? Well, spare a thought for the future of the profession, really, um, uh, particularly during this pandemic. And I was ploughing through countless stories that we covered this year and um, I, I couldn't escape um, the GPHC's handling of the rescheduled June 2020 assessment, which took place in March this year. Um, we covered, I think most of the pharmacy press covered this, but this was, uh, for me, a, a very big story, one of the biggest uh, stories to, to come out of this year. Um and it was it didn't make great reading for the GPHC, unfortunately. We all I think we all know by now exactly what happened. Um, but uh, for a, a quick recap, you know, students uh, struggled to book places at test centres run by Pearson Vu, who were appointed by the GPHC to host to stage these assessments. And students in Scotland were were faced with the prospect of having to travel long distances into England to sit the exam. So it was a terribly stressful time for. For students, um, I mean, who hasn't been stressed out during this pandemic, but it, it, for students, you know, and sitting an exam is hard enough as it is. This just ramped it up a hundred times. Um, now, the GPHC chief executive, Duncan Rudkin, uh, to, yeah, to be fair to him, said it would look at what happened um, and take take stock of uh, where they where they could go, uh, go you know, where they could make improvements, avoid what happened um, uh, uh, moving forward. Um, and the Professional Standards Authority, which of course oversees all the regulated healthcare regulatory bodies, said that it would also publish its findings of a review into the GPHC's performance in 2020-21. And that would, of course, include the assessment. Um, and we, we contacted the PSA and asked them um, when that uh, review would be published. And they said not before late this year. We're in December now, and there's still no sign of that, uh, that review, so, as far as I've seen anyway. So um, we eagerly await that. Um, it must be said um, in, in, in Duncan Rudkin's uh, and, and the GPHC's defence that you know, he did apologise. Um, he did. We interviewed him earlier in the year and he said he was very sorry for what students went through. Um, and he did say quite pointedly and, 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 you know, justifiably that the pandemic posed not only substantial challenges, to, uh, maybe that's probably an understatement, but substantial challenges, but they were unprecedented for the GPHC. The, the regulator had, had never held a, an, an assessment during a pandemic. This was the... A first and and um, for that reason alone, you know problems. It was it was never really going to go smoothly. Um, I I take the view that I think they could have been better prepared. Still, I think they could they could have they did things wrong uh, during that period, um, not giving students any uh, any information for about eight months before finally coming up with a date to sit from which they could sit the exam, keeping students in the dark, um, and of course you know inexcusable really that, that students trying to book um, assessment places were unable to do so. And, and I think that's stressful enough as it is, but when you were faced with the situa situation they were faced with, even more so. Um, now, I, I don't... I, uh, where do we go from here? I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it has to be said that, you know, July 2021, the, the July 21 assessment, online assessment, which obviously followed uh, the, the, the difficulties of the, the March assessment, the GPHC was again criticised um, for technical problems that affected that particular assessment as well. You had several candidates sitting the exam remotely who are unable to sit the exam because of internet connection issues. You had a small number of students in test centres experiencing technical problems, which were eventually resolved. Um, and three candidates were unable to sit the second paper because of a system failure in the test centre. So you had the it, problems were arising again. It just seemed as though the GPHC hadn't quite learned the lessons of the 
of that first, that, that June, that's rescheduled June assessment. Um, so I, I, I've gone for this story because I, I, I couldn't escape it, really. We, we, we covered it quite, quite exhaustively uh, this year, and, um, and we await the PSA's uh, review into the GPHC's performance, as, as yet we haven't seen that uh, for 21. Um, Duncan Rudkin was very circumspect. He was very honest. He, was, he you know, held his hands up, um, but I, I, I couldn't escape this, really. Spare a thought for the, those poor um, red, uh, you know, students trying to sit the assessment and having to go through horrific, um, you know, horrific time just booking places yes difficult difficult time for those candidates neil you're right and the provisional register i think closes in january doesn't it so that's going to cause difficulties of course still so they're ongoing i i guess the only the only good news out of this this difficult situation is that um what was the pass rate uh, in july was it 88 percent or something for the that first ever online registration assessment well i mean that's an amazing achievement given all the difficulties uh, for the candidates due to COVID. So me next. Now, well, my new story of the year, it's, it's really obvious, really. So, um, but it needs to be said uh, because the new story of the year for me has been those um, fantastic pharmacists and their supporters, helpers and clinicians involved um, on the, the COVID jab front line the vaccination centers the pharmacy run vaccination centers 1500 of them at the moment should there be more yes of course there should be more <laughs> will there be more i think there absolutely will be more given the, the the pressures that everybody's under now with the vaccination program um my pleasure to uh, to visit a couple of them um i went to, to jackie lewis with arthur uh, down in in exeter and, and mike holden in hampshire absolute pleasure to to see these clinics in in full swing and i i read on twitter i think just the other day that ash sony is just former president of the society has just done his 10th 10,000th job so you know to me that just goes to show what can be achieved when the incentives and the, and the service design and the implementation is right but actually we should praise all pharmacy teams for the incredible continuity of care um, that they provided over the last 12 months, been absolutely magnificent. Um, I'm going to fit in another uh, story here. Well, it's more of a kind of award, I think. I'm going to jump ahead with the, the award. Uh, and I'm going to, I've got an award for comeback of the year. Yeah. And it goes to the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Now, Neil's just fallen off his bar stool and dropped his popcorn with this. But look, here's why. This is why I've nominated the good old RPS. It is like when some tired old B-movie star releases yet another turkey that the bombs in the box office, they're faced with a choice, okay? They either accept they're no longer relevant or popular and they fade gently from view, or they can reinvent themselves by, by offering something that's bold and new that that changes perceptions. I'm thinking Jack Nicholson in terms of endearment or John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, um, not Robert De Niro in just about everything since 1974. Um, and I think that's what the society has done because it is focused on two massive issues in pharmacy, indeed globally, uh, that's climate change and equality and diversity in the profession. And I think that the society's actually shown real leadership here and is doing its best to affect real change. Oh, to me, that's strategically clever and might just have saved the society's bacon because not only are these two the biggest issues of our age and they affect all of us, 
Uh, they especially chime with younger pharmacists. And it, it's to this demographic that the society must appeal if it is to survive, not old farts like, like Rob and I. Um, so post-split in 2010, I think the split was, the society has, if we're honest, uh, struggled for relevance, especially among community pharmacists. And I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that by focusing on these two big issues, the society will solve all its problems. Definitely not. Membership still falling, and it's still, in the eyes of many, a publishing company with a small leadership body attached. But maybe, just maybe, this is a turning point in its fortunes. And let's hope so, to be honest, because any profession needs a strong leadership body to fight its corner. So there are signs of life at East Smithfield. That's the award for my comeback of the year. It's the RPS. Let's have some more messages. Hi, colleagues. It's Harry McQuillan from Community Pharmacy Scotland. Thanks for everything you've done again this year. And I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year when it comes. All the best, teams. Hi, it's Andrew Lane from the MPA. Wishing you and your friends and families the very best Christmas. It's been another exhausting year, but at the NPA, we're very proud of how our members have stepped up to every challenge thrown at them. As a result, public support for community pharmacy is higher than ever before. And let's hope that's a springboard for better times to come. Here's hoping you all get a decent break over this festive period and come back physically and spiritually replenished for the new year ahead whatever it may bring. Thanks to Harry and Andrew for those messages. So now we come to uh, the awards section of the Christmas special. Um, have we got any special awards that we want to, uh, to dish out? Rob, let's start with you. Yes, Richard. Thank you. I'm going to... Can I, I, I do a nice positive one? I got a, an award, Pharmacy Boost of the Year. What's up? And I, I'd like to nominate the launch of the OTC pill by both Maxwellia and HRA Pharma. Um, you know, time's going to tell how big a game changer this proves to be for this particular new category. But it's, you know, how long has it been since we've seen some genuinely novel, different TV advertising for OTC product? Now, that's a great ad, by the way, for Levima. Uh, some great training material uh, and most of all, a, a demonstration of confidence in the community pharmacy sector in a completely new area and perhaps one which might be have been come as a bit of a surprise for one. Um, as you know, I, I interviewed Anna Maxwell uh, earlier in the year for what turned out to be our August issue and she promised more products where that came from. Uh, so, yeah, a, a nice positive thing for the for the um, for the sector. So pharmacy boost of the year. OTC pill. Yes, I like that. A um, lot happening in sexual health in pharmacy at the moment, isn't it? All all very positive. So, yeah, that's a good award, Rob. Um, I've got an award, actually, I've been thinking. Um, I'm going to call it Best Long-Running Drama with No End in Sight. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go for the Review Steering Group because it's, it's just like one of those movie franchises that's completely lost its way. It's like the Fast and the Furious, except it's not fast, and all it does is make Rob furious. I'm, I'm not even sure anybody even cares about it anymore. And um, Oh, I'm not, one more. Um, it, and this is a real BAFTA category. Uh, Best Reality and Constructed Factual Awards, um, which I'm going to give to pharmacies' workforce crisis. Are there a shortage of pharmacists or not? Um, 
depends on who you talk to really but it's a it's a deteriorating situation sadly um so yeah they're my two awards uh arthur have you got any awards end of year awards you'd like to dish out i do thank you richard uh so the category is walking away from a burning dumpster fire and, uh, and there are two winners this year actually they are keith ridge and simon jukes so the heads of nhs england and psnc respectively well <laughs> formerly in simon's case because he's already left um but uh, in such a tumultuous time for the sector and um, two of the big figures who, who who've led um such important parts of it over the over the past couple of years have stood down and um, perhaps they're looking for a bit more of a quiet life who knows but um, I mean it's a bit ton of cheek but um, I wish I wish them all the best that's a great great award say the award title again Arthur it's best what was it uh, walking away from a burning dumpster. I just thought that up. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, nice one, Arthur. Neil, do you have do you have an award that you want to give away? I don't think I can top that, but uh, but um, my my award is fe- quite honestly female in a leading role, and I've gone for Thorin Govin. Um, I just think she's breathed new life into a uh, fresh air into the into the English pharmacy board. Um, she's done brilliantly and uh, taken the you know taken taken it. Real, real enthusiasm, and uh, and uh, I just love the way she she speaks out on issues. Um, and uh, long may it continue. So, female in a leading role, Thorin Govind. Oh, great, a great, great nomination. She's done tr- some tremendous new generation of leader, isn't she, Thorin? Done some tremendous work promoting uh, the profession in the media. So, yeah, that's a that's a good one. I've just got one more to throw in very quickly. Um, it's a, my rising star one to watch, and and it's Bella Shah. Uh, who is the president of the BPSA. I had the pleasure to chat with Bella at the pharmacy show. And um, and I've met, uh, I met Alex Scarborough as well. Who I think he's the vice president of BPSA uh, a few years ago um, when we were at the BPSA conference. It was on the night where they let in all fogies like, like me. Um, very impressive committee this year, actually. Future is in very safe hands. <laughs> Okay, so nearly at the end, but let's have some predictions for the year ahead, shall we? Um, what's going to happen in twenty twenty two? I've got a, I've got a couple. I think, uh, I think that Mark Lionette is going to be the new James Bond. Um, I think that uh, Matt Hancock will apply for a job at, at CIG uh, no! to work on ICP <laughs> to work on ICP <laughs> with Neil. Um, no, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick my my neck out. Um, I think 2022 will be the the year where uh, pharmacy apprenticeships and supervision will be coming to the forefront. And who knows? Maybe rather depressingly, we could be seeing industrial action by by pharmacists. Um, let's see. On a much more positive note, I think we're going to see pharmacies involved in dual flu and COVID jabs next winter. And I think we're going to go through the the 5 million barrier, both for pharmacy first consultations in Scotland and for flu jabs in England, both highly, highly successful services. And they're only going to get bigger and better as far as I can see. Um, So they're my predictions, right? Who's next? Arthur, what what do you think is going to happen next year? Well, Richard, I'm curious to know what you see Matt Hancock doing in our office. I'm not sure I'd trust him with the photocopier. <laughs> but, coffee um, boy. Yeah, coffee, coffee boy. boy. Jesus. Um, you couldn't, my... couldn't screw that up, could you? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Brilliant. But my prediction is, I mean, it's it's less of a prediction than one to watch, but I'm I'm definitely curious to see how the regulation of online pharmacies develops over the next year. The GPHC's, I touched on it earlier in my story, the GPHC's made a number of uh, announcements over the past 12 months about how you know gravely concerned it is about some of these providers and the safeguards or lack thereof that um, that they're using. Uh, most recently, they've talked about potentially charging them higher registration fees because they're so overrepresented in fitness to practice cases. Which I mean, uh, sounds plausible, but um, you know, could 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 raise um, concerns in in the wider sector around around the regulation of pharmacy. But it's um, I mean, they're only growing in uh, their importance, and I mean, their use by patients is is, is only growing. So very curious to see how um, uh, how tough the, the GPHC crackdown becomes. Matt Hancock will be fine in our office. I've unplugged all the CCTV cameras. Um, all right, Neil, to finish off, then, what are your predictions for 2022? So I've, I've gone for a uh, hope uh, as much as a prediction for 2022, and that's to scrap the GP CPCS and replace it with a pharmacy first type model, as we've seen in, in Scotland. Here, here. I mean, after all, we don't need... GPs in this model at all. Why, just, why don't we just get patients, you know, people in the community straight to pharmacies and not have to go through all that bureaucratic red tape uh, with, with general practice? Um, Sajid Javid has alluded to this in, re- in recent weeks and uh, he said that he's considering this. So I think that, uh, I don't particularly think it's very helpful sending out mixed, me- confusing and conflicting messages. I think Mr. Javid and the government of the Department of Health should just get on with it and do it if that's what they want to do. And I hope they do do it. Um, but there needs to be a bit more decisiveness. But um, the GPC CPCS just hasn't worked for me. Not enough referrals to pharmacies for for, for whatever reasons and whatever reasons you want to believe. Even the former uh, BMA GP committee chair Richard Voltry, by his own admission, he said that uh, GPs find it bureaucratic. It's, it heaps all the more. It just heaps more work on them. It's red tape, more form filling. Um, and the bottom line is, it's not doing what it was designed to do, or certainly not in in in, in, as, in as much uh, uh, to the extent that it should be doing it. Um, it doesn't matter how many times Ed Waller or anybody else at NHS England talks about incentives for GPs and conditions uh, to, to to persuade GPs to to get involved in this and refer. It just hasn't worked. It needs to be rethought, scrapped, um, and 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 replaced. Um, take GPs out of the equation, and I think pharmacies can handle. Uh, with with the proper funding and uh, funding and, and support, by the way, it's important to say that. But pharmacies are perfectly placed; they don't need general practice. It just they just get in the way. Yeah, here, here, um, poorly designed, poorly implemented. Worth only what was it, seven hundred and fifty pound to the average pharmacy a year? That was Arthur's story last week. Uh, yeah, the, the minor ailments element, minor ailment element of the CPCS clearly isn't working. Um, Pharmacy first is the way to go. Have NHS England got the memo from from the Sarge? Uh, I don't know, but but surely self referral is the way forward, and pharmacy should or contractors should be remunerated properly for giving um, OTC advice, self care advice, healthy living advice, etc. So uh, yeah, well done, Neil. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, Rob, did you think that was um, a fair comment by Neil? I'm sure you did. I absolutely did. Uh, Richard and I've got my prediction as well a bit like Neil uh, more in a spirit of hope than expectation so um, now this hasn't been mentioned on the review of the year I thought it might have been but I do think the results of the elections to the English pharmacy board this year offered some hope 
to a brighter future with a number of seasoned veterans of the organisation standing down actively and creating the way for a wave of predominantly younger members of the profession to step up. Um, now that to me represents a welcome change. So my prediction is that across the community pharmacy representative bodies in 2022, a similar number of those who have sat on boards and committees for what seems like the best part of my old professional career uh, decide to call it a day and announce they won't be standing in those delayed elections in 2023. Uh, a blend of experience and youthful exuberance and challenge. It's got to be good for any organisation. And so I'd say to those who've been around for more than, say, 12 years, isn't that enough? They need to take a long, hard look at themselves and say, what more can I really contribute that I haven't managed to do so far? Um, I was reminded of this a couple of months ago by the rather classy resignation of Richard Vautry. Neil's just mentioned Richard as chair of GPC England, the body which negotiates the GP contract. And I bumped into Richard not so long ago. And he told me he was moving on safe in the knowledge that succession planning was in place. There were at least two members of his committee ready to step up. And the time was right with the start of a new contract negotiation just around the corner. That sounds familiar to me. Uh, Farah Jamil, a London GP, has since taken Richard's place. So I'd like to see a bit of change. And, um, you know, how the last few bit years been for people that some of those organisations represent? Uh, time to give somebody else a bit of a go, in it. Time to give someone else a go. Uh, let's see. You think this will happen in twenty twenty two, Rob? Um, I'm not so sure, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a laudable aim. Uh, fixed terms. I think things do need freshening up from from time to time. So. Yes, um, I think that's a, a good prediction, um, but I don't think it'll happen. OK, before we go, we've just got time for some final quick messages from Chris Martin in Wales and Adi Williams in Bristol. Well, what another extraordinary year for our profession. And it's again my great pleasure to send festive greetings from our pharmacy family in Wales to your pharmacy family across the UK. Na dole clawin a blwyddyn Keep doing what you're doing. You have been a shining beacon of resilience, fortitude and professionalism throughout the pandemic. And a big thank you to Richard, Rob and colleagues for your highly entertaining, informative and brilliant podcasts throughout the year. Dioch and Vaur Iawn. My name is Adam Williams. I'm the lead pharmacist at Bemister Pharmacy in Bristol. Uh, this time of the year, as we get into the festive season, as we start to see uh, that the year come to its end, uh, it can be a very busy time for community pharmacy teams. And I just want to really send a message out to colleagues just to appreciate their continual dedication and care uh, that has really uh, been the... Uh, epitome of our profession but in the last uh, 24 months as we've come to the fore and just to really appreciate them to remind them to please take good care of yourselves uh you know uh, we are increasingly all getting very very uh tired and it's time to also focus on our resilience uh not just for the pharmacists and maybe the technicians but also for the whole team as well but also just to really you know spend some time as well just to reflect because you know sometimes if you don't have enough people telling 
telling you you're doing a great job, you may start to question that. And maybe I can add my voice to that, that many people in our communities across the country uh, will, you know, will, will certainly attest to, which is that community pharmacy teams have been the bedrock of the NHS. And um, I'm really, really proud to be a part of such a dedicated team of uh, NHS professionals. Um, and then most importantly, if you do open the box of the quality street, um, please try and make sure that everybody gets the fair and equal opportunity to pick the one that they like. Uh, preference given to the less visible members of the team as well. Uh, that's from my colleague Shirley, who does our deliveries in the pharmacy. Have a lovely, lovely Christmas season. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you to Chris and Adi there. So that does bring us to the end of this year's Talking Pharmacy Christmas special. And indeed our podcast for the year. Uh, this is the 41st podcast of 2021, which has included eight in conversation with interviews, four specials, over 61,000 downloads. That's over 20 hours of us rambling on, including 13 Matt Hancock rants from Neil, nine moans at the RSG by Rob, eight interesting weeks quote from Arthur, one legal letter and so many retakes from me. I've lost count. But in all seriousness, my Big thanks to my colleagues and friends, Rob, Neil, Arthur and Millie for their contributions throughout 2021. These pods are great fun to do and I hope that comes across to you, our listeners. And a big thanks to Sam Healy from our digital team, our long-suffering producer who sweats hours over these podcasts and, and makes them semi-intelligible. So thank you, Sam. Um, mainly, of course, though, it's thanks to you, our listeners and readers, and to everyone who's shared their stories with us over the year and for engaging so enthusiastically with the podcast. Pharmacy, take a bow. You've been superb. Have a great Christmas. Stay safe and well. But for now, from all of us, happy Christmas and thanks very much for listening. This is Outsider from P3, wishing all of you a very Merry Christmas, or at least a couple of days off. I hope you're looking forward to 2022 and finding some time to relax, maybe even watch some classic movies. My recommendations would be Last Days of PSNC and Never Ending Story, Right Review Edition.